Hello, Rebels. You're listening to a free audio-only recording of my show, Rebel Roundup. Tonight, my guests are Sheila Gunn-Reed and Kian Bexty. If you like listening to this podcast, then you would love watching it. But in order to watch, you need to be a subscriber to premium content. That's what we call our long-format TV-style shows on The Rebel. Subscribers get access to watching my weekly show, as well as other great TV-style shows, too. It's only $8 a month to subscribe, or you can subscribe annually and get two months free. And just for podcast listeners, you can save an extra 10% on a new premium membership by using the coupon code PODCAST when you subscribe. Just go to rebelnews.com to become a member. And please leave a five-star review on this podcast and subscribe in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Those reviews are a great way to support The Rebel without spending a dime. And now, enjoy this free audio-only version of my show. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, ladies and gentlemen, and the rest of you, in which we look back at some of the very best commentaries of the week by your favorite Rebels. I'm your host, David Menzies. Well, Kian Bexty traveled back to northern BC to get the goods on the deal between the federal Liberals and the hereditary chiefs regarding the coastal gas link pipeline. Uh, just one hitch, none of the relevant details about the deal are being made public? <laughs> Say what? Ride-sharing services have finally come to British Columbia, yet why are municipal governments doing whatever they can to sabotage the likes of Uber and Lyft? Sheila Gunn-Reed has all the details. And finally, letters. We get your letters. We get your letters every minute of every day. And I'll share some of your responses regarding my coverage of a wannabe jihadi who is now on probation based on the condition that he receives de-radicalization training at a mosque a mosque that has a somewhat checkered history. Yeah, I know, what could possibly go wrong? Those are your rebels, now let's round them up. Justin Trudeau's government has struck a top secret deal with the illegitimate leadership of the Wet'suwet'en. The blockades are still going strong and perhaps predictably Trudeau's ratings have tanked since the last election. Breaking news today from Ipsos, 60% of Canadians believe that Justin Trudeau has botched the handling of this pipeline blockade debacle. Even more believe that more intervention is needed in the blockade situation. Justin Trudeau's approval ratings have tanked 5% since the last election. And this comes at a time when CPC leadership hopeful Peter McKay says he's going to be calling for an election in October if he does win. That's probably unlikely given the fact that the NDP are deeply in debt and the Bloc Québécois have no interest in losing seats in the next election. This all comes at a time when it was announced by Minister Carolyn Bennett over the weekend that they've struck a deal with Frank Alec. He's an individual who stole the chief title of Chief Woos from Darlene Glam here in Morristown. 
Darlene Glam used to be the chief woos of the area, and that was a title that was inherited from her mother and from her mother's mother, and it was going to be passed down to her daughter. It's a matrilineal title, but somehow Frank Alec managed to abduct that title from her because she didn't hold the correct opinion that the seven other men in the room held, which was that this pipeline better not happen at any cost. Now, Frank Alec is a rather special guy. He's someone who thinks that the earth is flat. Now, that sounds crazy, and it is, but it's true. He also thinks that there's aliens in Area 51, but Carolyn Bennett has decided out of all of the rather legitimate chiefs in this area, the elected ones, the historical hereditary chiefs, Chief Wu's like Darlene Glam, out of all the people that she could be negotiating this deal with, well, she's going to pick Frank Alec. And to be fair to Frank Alec, I'm not sure which of these two have less of an idea of what's going on. Listen to Carolyn Bennett. I believe have uh, come uh, to a uh, proposed arrangement uh, that uh, that will uh, also honor the the protocols of the uh, of the Wasotan um, people and clans, and uh, obviously that that what we've worked on this weekend needs to go back to those clans, and then uh, we have. We have uh, agreed that as ministers we will come back to sign um, in uh, if if it it meet is agreed upon um, by by the nation. Yikes! What's that line from the immortal bard again? Ah, yes, physician, heal thyself. But the incoherent blather is only part of the issue when it comes to the deal between hereditary chiefs and the federal government. The real issue is transparency, or rather, the lack thereof. Nobody really has any idea what the deal states or whether or not it's fair and square. And with more on his adventure into northern British Columbia as our roving reporter, Kian Bexty, welcome to Rebel, Rebel Roundup, my friend. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. So, Kian, simply put, why the secrecy? Uh, that's a very good question, David, and it's one that many people are asking both here in uh, the Houston area and Canadians are asking across the country. They want to know why Carolyn Bennett has decided uh, that it's more important for the people she's negotiating with to uh, sign and seal the deal before the, the other side of the table, the other negotiating partners, aka Canadians, are even aware what's in the deal. Yeah, so it's like going into a car dealership and signing the contract without actually seeing the car and the, you know, the options and the features and the salesman saying, trust me, it's good for you. I'm sorry, I don't trust this group. Do you, Kian? I don't trust them in the least little bit. I don't trust Carolyn Bennett, someone who can't seem to get more than a few words out of her mouth before spilling all of her marbles, just worse than Justin Trudeau actually does and sometimes. Uh, I don't trust Frank Alec at all. Frank Alec is uh, Chief Woos. He was the one that came out to speak to media after, uh, the, uh, after the agreement was reached. He is just as untrustworthy and he's on the other side. He's uh, Not only is he untrustworthy uh, after he stole his office name and position from the woman that held it after she held the wrong opinion. Sounds like Justin Trudeau to me, kicking women out of decision-making positions, but he's also a flat earther. He's someone who believes that the earth is flat and somehow Carolyn Bennett has decided that of all people, he is the one that should be managing the negotiations for the wet sweat. 
You know, it's just incredible. I can tell you, Kian, I have never thought highly of Dr. Bennett from an ethical perspective back when she was with the Chrétien regime. She, even as a physician, ruled against a compensation package to hepatitis C victims, which was an absolute disgrace, and I would argue went against the Hippocratic Oath. Uh, as for Chief Wu's, uh, are you pulling my leg here? There's somebody in the year 2020 in a position of a authority, no less, that thinks the earth is flat? Yeah, no, I, David, I'm not joking there. This uh, <laughs> Frank, Frank Alec literally thinks that the earth is flat. He said so on Twitter after he ventured out to the North Pole on apparently a fact-finding mission. Uh, this is, I, I'm impressed that he has that much time to burn to figure something out like that. Uh, but it, you know, it goes along with what I think of, uh, what it, it goes along with the story of these people. They, you know, they're fighting against these pipelines on stories and fairy tales that they're going to destroy the environment and they're going to spill bitumen into the rivers when they, they couldn't be more factually inaccurate. This pipeline, of course, is a natural gas pipeline. It can't spill bitumen into the rivers. Uh, it's the environmental protections and regulations that have been put in place to protect the environment as it's being built and to restore the environment after it has been built are second to none. Uh, and these people believe uh, that, that these these people, they're just, they're, they're low information actors is, is what's going on here. Oh, and Kian, you can prove that beyond a shadow of a doubt. We all must remember that viral uh, clip from last month where a female protester thought that the pipeline was transporting dead animals. <laughs> I mean, I'm not making that up either. I don't know what's more outrageous, a pipeline transporting dead animals or, or that somebody thinks that the earth is still flat. But Kian, at the crux of the matter, can we drill down? Can you give us a sense what or, you know, a hereditary chief is in the first place? So hereditary chiefs are a, a governing structure that the Indigenous people in this area and in other areas in Canada uh, have used to govern themselves uh, for time immemorial. Uh, and the, the difference between that and, and what most contemporary people uh, believe, uh, believe in a government structure is that that was inherited uh, either matrilineally or patrilineally. Uh, now, on top of that, there's also elected uh, chiefs, which is more in line with what people would expect these days. Uh, the band members all vote and they decide, okay, we want this person to be our chief for this long. And if they don't like them, they can scrap them. Uh, now, with the hereditary chiefs, it's a bit of a problem because they can't scrap them without sort of backroom politics with uh, backroom politics with, with the guys kind of thing. Uh, if, if you've stayed up to date with this story, five men have actually stripped the hereditary titles from three women who disagreed with those men. These women have inherited their titles uh, through their family for generations, and the five men who don't want this pipeline built, stripped their titles from them after they created a small coalition supporting the pipeline. So there's the, the problem with this hereditary system is it's open to man manipulation uh, from the local elites rather than uh, from the, uh, and, and there's no way to hold them accountable uh, by the people. The people have no way to hold these, these hereditary chiefs accountable if they want them gone, if they want them out of positions of power, if they think they've done a bad job, well, they're kind of SOL. 
You know, uh, I find it actually key and downright farcical. Our friend Lauren Gunter in the Sun newspapers, he wrote a fantastic column the other day, and it was about how one of the uh, elected band counselors, uh, Frida Hewson, who was anti-pipeline, um, lost her position because there was very much, there, there was a lot of support, rather, for a pro-pipeline stance. So Frida Hewson went from an elected band council member and declared herself uh, a hereditary chief. And Gunter makes the point, it'd be kind of like Justin Trudeau uh, or Doug Ford losing the next election, and Trudeau calls himself the hereditary prime minister, and uh, Ford calls himself the hereditary premier, even though they didn't have the will of the people. Uh, would you concur with that uh, bizarre example? <laughs> That's exactly uh, what I, I I would agree with that precisely, except for I would change that. I don't think Trudeau would be the hereditary prime minister. He'd probably just be the queen of Canada. <laughs> Boy, there's there's a punchline just dangling there, Kian, but I dare not say it. The other thing, Kian, it should be noted, and uh, again, our friend um, Mr. Gunter points this out. We kept referring to this as a deal uh, between the federal government and the hereditary chiefs, but I've been told the correct word is arrangement. Now that has my um, needle on my internal BS detector uh, swinging firmly into the red zone. It appears that there might not be any kind of deal at all. So this is how bad the secrecy is, Kian. What was indeed signed on the table if indeed there was anything signed at all? So it, it's something to do with rights and title, which means that it's it's in in the the subject matter is how they're allowed to govern govern themselves and who's allowed to make decisions. Now, if Carolyn Bennett does has done what many people expect she's done, she's sort of given these hereditary chiefs, these male hereditary chiefs, everything that they wanted, which will seal the deal uh, for them to be able to negotiate on a legal basis, which they haven't had that legal basis in the past, they will now have a, a legal basis to everything that they're doing. And, and it will be uh, it will be hard to fight back against what they're doing and the positions they take. Um, so, you know, kicking those women out of those leadership positions, that's fine. Uh, everything that they're doing behind, in the back room of the teepee, um, there, there's no way to hold them accountable anymore. Uh, but again, we're going to have to wait until we see exactly what the deal says. But it seems right now like Carolyn Bennett has just given them everything that they've asked for with nothing in return. Absolutely incredible. And we're left in the dark. And remember, this was a prime minister that came to power with the promise of being the most transparent government in Canadian history. Clearly, that's not the case. Kim, we're, we're running out of time here, so I'm going to say uh, adios to you. But I, I want you to make me a promise, my friend. I know you're pretty far north right now. Can you tread very carefully, just in case Chief Woos is right, that we are living on a flat earth? I, I wouldn't want you to fall off the surface of the planet. We need more Kian Bexty in these dark days, my friend, okay? I'll tread very carefully. Okay, thank you, Kian. And that was Kian Bexty somewhere in the north. And uh, hopefully, like I said, he won't uh, take a wrong turn and uh, go into orbit. Ah, oh, Chief Woos. Keep it here, folks. More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this. Ah! 
Did you know that Uber and Lyft and other ride-sharing apps have only just come to Vancouver? Urbane, hipster Vancouver is just getting Uber now. I know, it's shocking to me too. While other parts of North America have had access to Uber and Lyft for upwards of 11 years, only now is ride-sharing becoming a thing in Vancouver after a years-long battle to bring the services to the Lower Mainland. And when I say years-long battle, I'm not even remotely kidding. The city and the government has done everything they can to keep Uber out. The Liberals and the NDP both promised to bring ride-sharing to British Columbia in 2017, and three years later, finally, just finally now, some regions are getting access. But the roadblocks thrown up by politicians to protect the taxi lobby have been absolutely transparent and outrageous. For example, when Uber first tried to enter the Vancouver market, the Passenger Transportation Board enforced the rule that required the company to charge at least $75 per ride, just like a limousine. And now that Uber and Lyft have been operating for a few weeks in Metro Vancouver, Drivers are being kept out of the market because of onerous licensing requirements that almost nowhere else has that requires them to have a class four license. The same one ambulance drivers have. Yeah, because schlepping someone a few blocks down the road requires the skill set of a paramedic. <laughs> wow. And with more on those bumbling bureaucrats and pathetic politicians who are so ready to fight the free market economy is our very own Sheila Gunn-Reed. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, my friend. Hey, David. Thanks for having me on the show. Well, it's always a pleasure. So, Sheila, when people ask me who created Uber, I always say the taxicab oligopoly <laughs> created Uber. Crap service, expensive rates, filthy cabs, endless delays, on and on it goes. So it's kind of perversely amusing to see that when a better alternative comes into the market, i.e. ride-sharing services, the powers that be at City Hall do everything at their disposal to make ride-sharing more like the taxi cab industry by inundating it with red tape and nonsensical regulation. What gives, Sheila? I don't know why municipalities are so beholden to the taxi cab lobby. It seems so strange. And like, I'll be perfectly upfront with you. I don't often take cabs or uh, Uber just because of where I live and the job I do. I always usually have my vehicle with me. Um, but when I do, when I'm traveling, when I'm at the airport, I like the choice. I like the competition. I don't like the government telling me which car I have to get into. And as a free market person and someone who supports entrepreneurs, I'd rather jump in the Uber because every single one of those guys is an entrepreneur who's trying to earn a little income for his family, who just wants to use what he has, use his skill set and turn it into an income. So I'm always happy to support the likes of Uber and Lyft. And I just don't like how much power the taxi industry has in major municipalities. I was shocked, David, shocked to find out that Uber and Lyft had not been in Vancouver. Uber and Lyft are sort of a young hipster sort of company, I guess, um, or at least that's the impression I have of them. And to find out that they weren't in the like hipster-ish uh, city in Canada, that blew my mind. But when you dig a little deeper and you find out sort of how the NDP are sort of intertangled in all of this, it makes perfect sense. 
No, no, you're 100% right. And, and probably the uh, American uh, mirror image of Vancouver is Seattle. And I know for a yep. fact that Uber is huge in, in Seattle. So there's no reason to believe it would be otherwise in Vancouver, uh, Sheila. But you know, the whole business of taxi cab uh, models the world over. It was built on such a fallacy, uh, something taken from almost Soviet-style economic theory, Sheila. And it was basically this. We're going to give you a license, and we're going to have a finite number of licenses, so your license will appreciate because literally you can't get into uh, the competitive sphere. But what that means is, well, that's good for the taxi cab uh, drivers and, and, or more importantly, the taxi cab plate owners. It's not good for the consumers. So on high demand times like the Super Bowl or New Year's Eve or Halloween, typically in the past, you'd phone the taxi cab number, you'd get a busy signal even before you finished dialing, you know. So it's almost like if the cities were running fat, the fast food business, Sheila, um, I could guarantee you, you would have a multi-million dollar hamburger joint, but the deal would be uh, Sheila's Hamburgers would have a five kilometer radius territory where there's no other hamburger job. So yes, you're making tons of money, but for the customers, they'd have to line up two hours to buy a burger. This was insane. And it's amazing, like you said, that it was tolerated for all these decades. Sheila, what, what was, what's so special about that sector of the economy, the, the taxis versus anything else like hotels or restaurants or retail? You know, there are these special industries, I guess, in Canada uh, that we tolerate this sort of Soviet-style centralized planning. The taxi industry, dairy, yes. eggs, where there's these quotas that prevent newer, smaller, more innovative farmers and drivers from getting into the industry and driving prices down or at least making things more competitive for the consumer and it stifles innovation. I mean, I was shocked to find out that they are making in BC because they Uber and Lyft have been trying to come to BC for years. And every time they tried, the government in BC would just out of nowhere throw up these crazy roadblocks that don't exist really anywhere else yeah. in the country. For example, making them have uh, a class four driver's license. That's an ambulance <laughs> driver's license. That's crazy. If it, it, It's basically driving around a passenger in your car. But what it was designed to do was just throw up a bureaucratic hurdle and discourage people from becoming an Uber or Lyft driver. When Uber and Lyft first tried to come into BC a few years ago, the government said, Oh, okay, fine. You can come. Welcome. Come to BC. However, you have to charge a $75 minimum uh, fee for someone to jump <laughs> into your car because we're going to treat you like a limo. I mean, it was just, it was, it was so crazy. And then when you drill down and find out who's on this uh, ride sharing panel that the government convened to make the rules for Uber and Lyft to come in. Um, instead of just saying, yeah, you know, we'll just replicate what they're doing in Edmonton or Calgary or Toronto or wherever. Come on in. It seems to be working there and nobody's any more um, harmed in car accidents or whatever. You drill down and you find out that one of the NDP MLAs sitting on this commission 
His dad's a taxi driver and he never had to recuse himself from working on the panel. I mean, it's so crooked and so corrupt from the top to the bottom. But I'm very glad that at least in B.C., this is a small victory for the free market that rarely happens there. You know, and, and Sheila, you, you bring up the words crooked and corruption, and there's always been so many allegations. I'm not sure if any have ever been proven, but it's out there. And that is the fact that in certain municipalities, um, certain councillors who are making these laws and bylaws are in the pocket of the taxicab industry. So yep. have you ever, you know, made any connection of any kind of actual uh, confirmation that maybe a counselor is getting gifts, is getting payments in order to preserve the status quo as is? Well, oh, if you go to uh, the Stranded BC website, these guys are great. They're documenting all the uh, the sort of ties between the government and um, and the taxi industry because Really, I love the name of their uh, little organization, Stranded BC, because that's what was happening to consumers. They were being <laughs> stranded, like you say, for hours on hours at peak taxi cab times. I'm old enough to remember like going to a concert or going to the bar and when the bar lets out at 2 a.m., uh, you're not getting home till five because yeah. <laughs> the taxi cabs just weren't there. There was a two hour wait and they said it with a like, without flinching, it's just a two hour wait. But um, in BC, they actually had uh, someone who was quite affiliated with the um, with the uh, NDP. He sort of became the point man of this, uh, they called it Cater, and it was the this company and the, when the NDP said, oh, we're gonna bring ride sharing to BC, um, but it can't be Uber and it can't be Lyft, we're gonna, it's gonna be called Cater. Um, and it was basically run by the taxi cab companies. It was just like, we're going to call it ride sharing and uh, we're going to put this NDP affiliated guy in charge of it all. But it was completely run by the taxi cab companies and, you know, a share of the profits went back to the taxi cabs. So, I mean, there, it's it's just been uh, a, a gong show since the whole movement to bring Uber and Lyft to BC started um, a real comedy of errors. They tried to stop this everywhere along the way, um, but you just can't stop eventually what the consumer demands and the consumer demanded choice and they demanded freedom and they demanded uh, convenience, having a car there within four minutes. And you know, Sheila, when you have the people making the rules, I'm sorry, but politicians, I mean, you know, some of them have zero business acumen. I mean, they, they, they couldn't run a, a, a successful yeah. pay toilet operation at an all-you-can-eat chili competition in Tijuana, for goodness sakes. Um, so the thing is, it's kind of funny to see them making the rules because <laughs> it's completely contrary to how the free market works. But tell me, my friend, uh, if I were to go uh, or any of our viewers were to go to uh, Vancouver today, um, can I, I know the last time I was there, uh, it, it wasn't in, in operation. Are, can I get a Lyft or Uber ride uh, without any hassle, without any problem, or it, w what's the lay of the land right now? You can get an Uber and a Lyft now in BC. You can jump into one at the airport, as far as I know. However, other municipalities are slow to get on board. And so there's still this push in BC to say, okay, we it's ha it's come 
to you know the greater Vancouver area, but we need to bring this further out to the other municipalities. This is also a job creation thing. Um, you know when in when people are getting laid off, you know we're seeing CN layoffs, forestry layoffs because of the rail blockades. Uh, this is the difference between feeding your family and not for some people if they have the opportunity to make a little money on the side driving for Uber and Lyft. And uh, that's really where this push is coming from. It's um, it's not just people who want, you know, consumer choice and free markets, but it's also people who see the value in having this readily available part-time job um, where people can access you, your business, your little entrepreneurial business from their phone. Um, and, you know, it, it's just a shame that it's still seeing this opposition in some of the smaller BC communities. Wow. Okay, well, Sheila, we're going to have to wrap it here. And I will say one other element to this. I have seen left-wing media reporting of Uber and Lyft and other ride-sharing services, and they tend to slam it because, A, this, this is all about cars on the road, and, B, uh, people like you and I and our, our viewers, we should be going in public transit to reduce our carbon footprint, but I don't want to. I want to be in a car, especially now with coronavirus as a concern. So, please, will you just back off and let the free market economy take care of everything. Sheila, great report. Thank you so much for weighing in. Thanks, David. Have a great weekend. And remember, cars are freedom. I love cars. I know that's so politically incorrect to say, right, folks? And But I so, so love them. It is the ultimate <laughs> freedom machine. And mm -hmm. uh, this is one of the reasons, too, why I abhor the very idea of a self-driving car. I don't want a kinder, gentler version of Hal in the dashboard. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks again, Sheila, and keep it here, folks. More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this. David Menzies for Rebel News here in Toronto. Well, folks, I'm in the middle of a stakeout for a radicalized individual who was tried and convicted of terrorism charges, yet... Even though the parole board said he was a risk, he was given probation after spending just a few months in prison after being convicted. I speak of Pamir Hakimzada. He is just one of several individuals who are in the news, individuals who are radicalized, individuals who are would-be jihadis. They've been tried and convicted and released, uh, even though there is strong evidence to suggest that they are still radicalized and still pose as a threat to public safety. In the case of uh, Pamir, he traveled to Turkey in 2014. His ultimate goal was to join ISIS in Syria, never made it to Syria. He was arrested in Turkey and eventually he was deported back here to Canada. Oh, what a prize. He was arrested for assaulting a witness, if you can believe it, in 2016, and he was charged with terrorism in 2017. Now, in February of 2019, just a year ago, he was convicted for, quote, leaving Canada to participate in the activity of a terrorist group, end quote. That sounds kind of serious, doesn't it? But get a load of this. He was released in June of 2019. Yes, just after his conviction, uh, only a few months in the slammer, and Pamir got to walk free. But it gets worse, folks. 
he was released even though the Ontario Parole Board ruled that Pamir, quote, would constitute an undue risk to society, end quote. Yeah, but what does the parole board know, eh? Better to roll the dice and hope that everything comes out nice. After all, wouldn't want to come across as being culturally insensitive now, would we? In any event, here's what some of you had to say about wannabe jihadis getting early release and probation despite a number of red flags. The Gatekeeper writes, de-radicalization techniques really worked well recently in the UK, didn't they? A success story jihadi was attending a conference about de-radicalization and left to stab people. What could possibly go wrong in Canada? What proof is there that these programs actually work? That's an excellent question, Gatekeeper. It would be most curious to see if valid statistics exist on the success rate of de-radicalizing jihadis. I have a gut feeling the numbers aren't all that great, otherwise the media party would surely be trumpeting such stats on a daily basis. Loki writes, you should seriously think about de-radicalizing Trudeau. Ah, you Norse god of mischief, you. You know very well that there's not enough imams in Canada to de-radicalize Justin Trudeau. Neil Thomas writes, de-radicalization? Was he some sort of fundamentalist Quaker or something? Point taken, Mr. Thomas. The mainstream media has been conditioned to tiptoe around any words that make mention of Islam or Muslims or Arabs when it comes to terrorism. So yeah, what the heck, let's just pretend it's all those hot-to-trot Quakers that are causing all the problems in the world today. And hey, keep an eye out for those dastardly Amish too, will ya? Let's discuss rights. LOL, Sai, Menzies, you're such a clown. I was literally preparing a comment to compliment you on finally engaging in some journalism, and then you had to share the information about the allegations at the end of your report. What a newbie move. Rather than hang on to that information after doing more digging and perhaps landing an interview with the imam, you've essentially now ensured that the mosque will never contact you back by raising that issue now. Um, sorry, let's discuss. I didn't dig up those allegations about financial malfeasance and abuse taking place at the Rizala Foundation. All of that information was obtained from, drumroll please, the Rizala Foundation's own website. Check it out yourself. I promise you, I'm not clowning around. Well, that wraps up another edition of Rebel Roundup. Thanks so much for joining us. See you next week. And hey, folks, never forget, without risk, there can be no glory. Good night. <laughs>